Um, but yeah, I've, I've had my cameras shit on, spit on, bled on. They're, they've seen a lot. Just toss them overboard when you're sitting having lunch, or you know, just anything like that. The classic. We actually were joking about setting up an OnlyFins account. Here's to us all swimming through the shit and making more sense of it. Wild and unprotected. Planet Earth, we can't neglect it. Ah, nature's sexy. We need these places, so please respect it. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the Wild and Unprotected podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different, and sadly, it is our last show of the season. Guys, can you believe it? Today's special guest is Javi Fabrega from Mars Sessions out of St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, welcome, Javi. Thanks for having us. Stoked to be here. Yeah, welcome to the show, Javi. We're uh, we're happy to finally have you on. I know this is something that we have talked about, you know, quite a bit since we went through kind of the Marsh Fest planning and and things like that. So, uh, without further ado, let's let's dive in and and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, really, I'm just a fly angler. Um, I have a passion for uh, conservation, and you know, I want to make sure that you know I play whatever part I can, whether you know small or large, um, you know, in uh, my community to you know ultimately help protect, you know, the areas that we like to go and play on, whether it's on the daily or on the weekly basis, but, you know, also in, you know, different marshes, right? So, you know, we also fish a lot in uh, Georgia, uh, Louisiana, we're about to head over there next week. So we're really just looking forward to supporting, you know, their efforts over there. Um, I think Koji, you know, the legal battles that they're going through at the moment with uh, some redfish uh, issues in the state of Louisiana. So I'm just looking forward to going over there and supporting those guys as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about your day, your day job. Um, do you want to kind of give a contrast to the audience about what you do, uh, for your nine to five? Yeah, absolutely. So for my nine to five, I run a global team of, uh, solutions engineers for a global uh, mobility company in the tech space. And by night we do Mars sessions. So how does someone go from the tech world to creating something like Mars sessions um, and then on top of that, what is Marsh Sessions exactly? That's a great question. So uh, I guess the way you go through it is by spending uh, close to about 12 years uh, flying all over the world, slinging technology, meeting with customers and spending endless amounts of times at airports, sky clubs, you know, airplanes and all of that. And what 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 really kind of brought Marsh Sessions to life is the fact that I, while I love technology and everything that technology brings, I, I you know, FlyFish gives me that escape from you know, a MacBook, the internet, you know, cell phone signal uh, at times and all of that. So it's kind of like my place to kind of go and kind of blow steam off, if you will. But then also, you know, uh, as anglers, I think we, you know, go through Instagram a lot and take a look at the posts and, you know, who caught what, where and all that kind of stuff. And But one of the things that I realized is that I had so much content that revolved around pre and post catching that fish, right? And, 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 and then it's something that I've always really kind of enjoyed capturing, right? Like what happens when you get to the boat ramp? What happens after you go flood tide fishing? I think Koji, you know, you fish with us up here. And, you know, I think one of my favorite parts is being able to hang out at the boat ramp, have a couple of cold ones with the boys and just, you know, kind of recap, not just, you know, that session, but ultimately, you know, life, you know, like how's your week going, you know, and how's your day and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, no, that's huge. Um, you, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's, it's not usually something that you see where, you know, you can get back to the boat ramp and talk to, you know, talk to everyone, you know, and it'd be open. It'd be an open conversation. Um, I feel like nowadays in any industry, everything is so competitive. Um, and a lot of people gatekeep, um, you know, their knowledge, um, tips and tricks and just overall, like who they are as a person. And I think it's a disservice, you know, um, not only in the fly fishing world, but, you know, like I said, every single industry, you know, if we can't come together and make things, uh, more of a community based, um, aspect, then it's, it's hard to grow as a whole. Um, what's that saying, you know, like the rising tide, right? Like rises all ships, um, you know, like if, if you're that one, you know, that's just anchored down, like you're going to take on water and end up sinking. And, you know, like those type of, those type of people and organizations definitely weed themselves out. But I think what is attracted, um, Wildscape, um, to Marsh sessions, um, as a whole and early on too, was just how open you were, um, with just like hopping on a call with us, um, and getting a relationship started and being interested and, and, you know, from Ethan and I standpoint, there was no, um, end goal. There was no, you know, ulterior motive that you had right off the bat in your voice or how you carried yourself. And it was just like, we were able to connect and move forward. And then it birthed into the conversation we're having now and a past experience of us attending Marsh Fest as a nonprofit organization. So, um, yeah, which, that was that. really awesome to have you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Like, you know, and, and I, I remember we were, we were standing, you know, with Mike Crawford outside of uh, Fly Tie United Strike Zone. He's like, hey, man, Koji's on the phone. I'm like, who's Koji? And I'm like, like, I'm one of those people who are like, I probably know you better by your Instagram name than your real name. And I'm like, oh, wait, I know who he is. I follow him. And then right out there, we're just over there with the phone like, hey, man, what's up? Nice to meet you. You know, and then here we are, what, four months later or so, three months later. Yeah, that was crazy, you know. And uh, just to kind of backtrack on that story, um, I remember – same thing with, with Mark Crawford or Mike Crawford. Um, you know, this is a guy I met on Instagram, saw that he was tying really awesome flies. And I was like, yo, that fly looks awesome. And he was like, what's your address? And then next week I had a pack of them in my mailbox. And I was like, that is unheard of. Like there's a catch here. And then, um, and then we started talking further and then we talked about, uh, and we talked about Marsh Fest, um, with you about that conversation there. Um, but no, it's like, it's like that, you know, that essence of just being open and like, ready to take opportunity. Um, I, and so what I think you're doing with Mars Sessions is unheard of, especially nowadays in fly fishing, um, but also to tie in conservation um, the way that you do and, you know, like how you focus on that. And it is a fiber of your, you know, your being. And I think that is something that I would want for you to touch base on and kind of tell the audience of like, yeah, Mars Sessions does this, but also like, you know, touch base a little bit on like your reason for being in the conservation space too. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, it's interesting, right? Because when I thought about Mars Fest, um, you know, it wasn't like my idea by any means. We used to have an old fly shop here called uh, Black Fly Outfitter that was owned by Von Cochran, right? And, you know, he ultimately uh, retired, sold it to Strike Zone. Um, and then basically with that, they quit doing uh, this uh, flood tide festival that they did every September uh, around the flood tide. And it was just, you know, really cool gathering, right? Like, you know, all the fly fish community would come in from, you know, far and wide. Um, and, and I just felt like it was something that was missing outside of just like your run of the mill, uh, fly tying night and, uh, those kind of things. And then, so what ended up happening is that Justin Anderson that, you know, he was, uh, we met 
I think at a fly tying night and, you know, just to talk about like ideas. And one of them was like, Hey, you know, I'm launching a uh, historical outfitters uh, in October. Um, and I'm like, you know what, that's perfect timing. Cause I was thinking, why don't we, you know, get together and maybe think about noodling on like Mars Fest, right? And at first it was like, you know, there's a local brewery down the road here, not a lot of space, but maybe we can get like 10 vendors and we'll do what we can, right? Um, and, and, and it'll just be the first one and we'll just learn from it. Um, and then as we kind of started, you know, networking and like letting people know, the vendors just started piling up and we're like, well, that's not going to fit at the brewery. So then I called uh, Lauren Ingalls, Boyd, who owns uh, North Quan Outpost. Um, one of the really raddest families in uh, Northeast Florida, they have a beautiful piece of property. It's about three acres and they do a lot of events where they do like chili cook-offs, they do a uh, customer appreciation party. And uh, we used to do fly tying night there uh, back in the day as well. And uh, so anyways, Justin and I rode over there on a Wednesday, I remember, and we left within the hour, we left with a date and a plan, a loose plan, but you know, we had a, we had a starting point. And, um, in about four months, we went ahead and somehow pulled off March Fest with 47 vendors. I want to say the police officer said he thought there was about 400 people that kind of walked through the property throughout the day. So we're really just, I'm, I'm so blown away at what we were able to do with just four months notice. That's a, that is a feat, uh, a Herculean feat. I will say, um, having, having experience in kind of the event planning industry, uh, on a large scale, um, I could not fucking imagine pulling something off kind of start to finish in four months and then it being as successful as it was. Uh, so props to you for that. That's, that's incredible. And then, uh, on top of that, knowing kind of what it evolved into as it went, the, the money that you were able to raise, you know, not only for North Guan Outpost, but for us as well, for that to only have happened in a four month period is incredible. Um, and it's something that I hope really continues here in the future. I know that's something that we've had, you know, kind of discussions on. Um, but I'm, I'm really hoping that there is a future for Mars Fest, both, you know, locally kind of in, you know, Northeast Florida and hopefully, you know, in a larger capacity than when people start to take note of what you're doing. Oh, 100%. So we do plan on, you know, making this a, uh, uh, yearly event. In fact, uh, Justin and Lauren and I were texting, uh, earlier this week that we're going to kind of let the holidays go, start planning, uh, just after Christmas, you know, for, uh, the next year. But, um, going back to your original point, um, Koji about, you know, like the conservation piece, right? And like what I learned is that you can't go at any of these kind of problems alone because, you know, we have full-time jobs, we have responsibilities, have a family and like all this other stuff. But what I've learned is that if you, if you give a little bit of a shit, right? And then you surround yourself with people like Justin and Lauren and you guys who also give a little bit of shit, then we, you know, like shavings make a pile, right? So, so it's, it's, it was really like, uh, refreshing, right? When like Justin hopped on, Lauren hopped on, and then, you know, you guys did. And then, you know, here we are, right? Almost, I guess, what, a month after, a month and three days after uh, the event. And and it's crazy that we're still getting hit up on like Instagram, like, where do I stay next year? Is it best to stay in St. Augustine? Is it best to go to Jacksonville Beach? And it's like, it's crazy, right? That, that, that in four months, to your point, Ethan, this uh, Herculean effort was somehow accomplished. And, uh, you know, here we are already prepping for next year. 
Yeah, I know that's something that we're looking forward to. Um, and, you know, seeing how things eventually compound, you know, from basically what happened with me before Wildscape, the, these events, you know, they, they snowball very quickly um, and become yeah. very large. And for you guys to be able to kind of pull in the vendors that you did, like nationally known brands from the start, I can only imagine what the hell is going to happen in the future with it. It's exciting and kind of terrifying at the same time, but we're going to send it. um well i think um what what we can kind of move to next um is is kind of the event overview and how things kind of went with marsh fest you know we we have the broad picture of that it was done in four months um Mm -hmm. but let's tell us the story about you know what happened in those four months um and how the event itself went yeah so in those four months it was almost like a dividing conquer right so it was like okay who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? Right. The easy part out of all of this was that, you know, Lauren owns a shop, right? Uh, North Quinn Outpost. They carry some of the biggest brands as well, whether it's, you know, your free flies, your marsh words, your Patagonias, your uh, boat paddle boards, et cetera. So, so we already had an in with her just reaching out to, you know, uh, her vendors, right? Costa Smith and them. And then, you know, Justin is pretty tight with this new water culture, uh, folks, uh, Captain's Collective and all of that. And then I just kind of did whatever they didn't know and whoever I knew. And we just started sending out DMs, text messages, whatever. And then little by little, we had that kind of snowball effect, like we're in, we're in, we're in. And then we started meeting once a month down at the shop, making sure that, you know, everything was kind of, uh, in order. Um, a lot of uh, Google Docs flying back and forth and editing and adding and removing and all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is that out of the 47 vendors, we only had two of them that couldn't show up. And they had, you know, one had a sick, um, I think the boys up in Savannah from uh, Tall Tide Charters, they had a sick dog, unfortunately. So they bowed out last minute, which was a big bummer, but, you know, totally get that. Um, and then we had one other vendor, I think the Flounder Pounder folks, uh, which is a big uh, tournament for uh, charity here in Jacksonville. Um, they bowed out the week before because they had a bunch of media stuff they had to do that weekend for the founder founder that was the weekend after March Fest. So, you know, overall, being able to, you know, just have two people that just weren't able to make it, I thought was a pretty good uh, outcome, right? Shit, I'd say so. Yeah, no, that's an incredible turnout. Um, even even just being there in person, you know, um, ha- having everyone's perspective of how that four months kind of unfolded was interesting because from Justin Anderson's point of view um, from historic coast outfitters, I asked him like, so like, you know, what, like, how did you get all these vendors? And he was like, dude, we just made phone calls. Like we just made the most phone calls that we could (laughs) and asked people if they were interested and told them what our intentions were. And I think, what was so profound for me, the biggest takeaway was Justin saying that, you know, <clears throat> it just takes one handshake. He loves this quote. It takes one handshake to change the course, the, the course of your career. And, um, you know, it still resonates because it's so true. Like Justin as a person and shout out to Justin, like he just wants the best for everyone. And I know that you are the same way, Javi. And like when he reaches out, he reaches out with the best intentions. And, you know, it is a no brainer that you guys had 40 plus vendors um, come to this event and want to be a part of it is because your intentions were were right. And um, for you to got for you guys to offer, you know, a spot for Wildscape to be there in person. Sadly, my entire team wasn't able to be there. Like I wish our whole team was able to be there and like hold hold the whole thing up. You know, mistakes were made and we'll learn. Um, 
but I think next year it helps us learn. It helps us be able to, you know, find where we fell short um, from our organization so that we can make everyone else look better as well. Cause um, man, I, I definitely, and this is personally um, I'll say this on the record. I was, I felt very undergunned going in there. Cause like when we set up, I was like, I was so confident. I'm like, the tent looks awesome. And then like everyone else set up and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> now I know how we should look next year. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Nobody really knew. Right. Because you're just like, hey, we just bring bring a ten by ten, <laughs> like whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, yeah, that and like us coming to an event like that, and you know, portraying ourselves as a conservation media team, like a media production company, is right. hard to it's hard to showcase that under a tent. You know, like we need a team to be there running around, like getting conservation media. So it's those, it's those things um, that like we all really learn from. And I think, you know, with this next, this next Marsh Fest, you know, definitely going to happen. Um, I think Wildscape will definitely play a huge part in, in not only being a part of um, your media, but just being there and, and helping push that conservation needle forward, um, which is a great point or a great segue into our next point of um how how did you tie conservation into Marshfest, and where did these proceeds go? Well, yeah, that's a good point because I feel like you know having these festivals is fun, but if you don't have an end goal, right, then kind of what's the point of doing them? And I feel like you know, you know, once you once you have conservation, because I think that's again far and wide the most important thing here, right? It's like you know we love we we either fish, we paddle, we hunt. We do a lot of things in the marsh, right? So it's like you got to take care of the place you play in because otherwise you're going to have anywhere to play in, right, at the end of the day. But, you know, I think Guana is a good example because, you know, uh, Guana Lake, which, Koji, I think you fished there not too long ago, um, has a pretty good story, right? They they didn't have the best water quality a few years back. And I think through the Friends of Guana uh, and, and, and uh, their uh, um, conservation efforts, right? They've been able to really kind of, you know, have a, a, a big play in that. And I think Koji, I mean, you can kind of tell your side of the story here uh, after, uh, but you know, there's, there's that fishery is really awesome for as small as it is, you know? And, and um, I think you, what did you call them? Prison mullet? Cause they're just giant. <laughs> yeah, prison uh, mullet. They're in their yeah, prison mullet. That's right. And, you know, you have big redfish, there's, you know, black drum, there's, you know, IGFA, you know, speckled trout have been caught in there by uh, Matt Chipperfield uh, and, uh, you know, his customers. So it's just a great place to 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 ultimately just kind of, you know, enjoy what you like to do uh, within the marsh. But then also I feel like, you know, having you guys come on, you know, help us with that media bit that we had no idea how to do. I was actually really stoked on the amount of money that we were able to raise. I think it was 1630 to each uh, organization. And, and, and I remember talking to you, I was like, dude, I really appreciate you guys coming up. I'm kind of sweating. Cause I don't know if we're going to be able to donate 25 cents or a thousand bucks. I don't know. You know? So, um, I think overall we did about $4,000. And by the time we paid ourselves back for all the expenses, it was about 1360 per uh, organization, which, you know, ultimately kind of blew my mind because we just didn't really have any expectations in terms of how much we were going to be able to ultimately donate. <laughs> Yeah, blew our minds too. Shit, we were we were not expecting <laughs> yeah. that. Um, I, I think we really, you know, had, had come in with, 
you know, kind of the intentions of, you know, this, this is a, this is a good sandbox for us to play in essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, as a younger organization, I mean, our organizations really are kind of about the same age and, yeah. you know, right. you know, when, when you're on the younger side and you're building up your audience and you're building up resources and things like that, you know, you're really just trying to find opportunities. Um, whether right. it's, you know, financially based or networking based or whatever it may be. So we went in, you know, more with, uh, this, this is a good opportunity for us to, you know, attend an event where we can learn and we can kind of enjoy ourselves a little bit. And then for Koji in particular, being in an environment, you know, where he was, you know, really comfortable, um, with, you know, people that had similar interests and, you know, so on and so forth. So for that to come, you know, with the, the check that it did on the end of that one, we're incredibly grateful for it. And two, it just is kind of a testament, um, to how Herculean that event was, um, yeah. in that four month period. Um, and also shows promise for, you know, the, the next couple of years, because now, you know, with little to no buildup, um, little to no marketing outside of what you guys did at first, because you didn't have a lot of content, you know, at first, now, right. you know, that there was an interest there when there wasn't all of that. And I can exactly. only imagine what there's going to be when there is, you know, a marketing campaign put behind it and you're really pushing it out to people and you have, you know, the vendors that, um, that you guys are partnering with saying, Oh shit, like this is actually an event, not only, you know, for them where we're showing up and we're supporting them for conservation, but this is good for us too. Like we want to promote that we're going to be there. Um, and right. you know, kind of your marketing efforts scale exponentially without you even lifting a finger. So just thinking about how, you know, <laughs> successful this first, you know, go around was and the, the buildup you know, that, that was there. Um, it, it's kind of mind blowing and we're thankful to have been a part of it. That's awesome. Man. Well, we're super stoked and thankful that you guys were. Well, with that being said, let's, uh, let's kind of jump to kind of the next piece of, you know, why Marsh Fest was important. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, community connection. Um, that's something <laughs> that we really care about, um, from, the wildscape perspective is being able to connect the community with local conservation efforts is a part of our, what we call the trifecta. Um, where mm -hmm. as we go out and we, um, film with these conservation organizations that we're not only, you know, supporting the conservation themselves, but the community and connecting the two. Um, and community seems to be something that's really important, um, for you, the boys, um, the entire group. So let's, let's talk a little bit about why it's important. Um, to connect with the community and how MarshFest did that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's more so like education, right? Like, and I think it's just like basics. Like, you can't go fishing and catch twenty five redfish and expect to keep them. Like, you know, and even if you could, what are you going to do with twenty five redfish, right? You know, so it's like, you know, and 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 I'm not here to say that we should shut it down, but I think like there should be a certain education to like, um, in terms of you know being responsible right? Whether it's, whether you're shrimping, whether you're fishing, doesn't matter the species, right? Like just be sensible to that. Because again, it's like, you know, if you don't take care of, you know, those places that we play in, then nobody's going to do it. Right. So it's like, and, 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 and kind of to my previous point, right. It's like, you know, if you can surround yourself with people that care a little bit, and then that little bit grows and grows and grows through more and more people, right. You don't have to feel like you're doing like this Herculean effort yourself. Right. And they're kind of bearing the weight of, of, of all of that. So I think that, you know, I think uh, by way of education and by way of just getting people together, I think that energy feeds off of everybody who was at the event, right? And they realize that we're here 
you know, to, 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 you know, like with, with one common goal in mind, right? Like let's raise money for conservation and just kind of keep that going. Right. And I think that attitude will ultimately, you know, translate, you know, into other people. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, um well, I was, I was going to uh, get ready to transition us to kind of the next piece, you know, once you have that, that community that's involved and, and they give a shit, um, they're, they're going to yeah. come back asking for more. Um, and they're, they're going to want to find more ways to be involved, um, and, and more fun kind of to be had. Um, so with that being said, when, when are you planning on, uh, having, you know, Marsh Fest again? I'm sure people are already asking, like you said, if they're asking where to stay. <laughs> they are. And you know, it's funny because it's tricky, right? Like there is, so there's a couple of things that happened in October that I was kind of trying to work around, right? There is the Taylor's ball up in Charleston. There is, uh, the Savannah fly invitational, which is late September. We have, uh, let's see, the Belly Crawlers, which was the first event here, I think sponsored by the SWC folks uh, and a few others up in uh, Amelia Island, uh, Fernandina Beach. And then we had the Calford Tournament, which is also in September here. So it's kind of trying to find the happy medium and not kind of interfere with those other ones. So we're kind of shooting for that October 6th uh, date of next year um, because that just seemed to work the best. Um, so, But then one of the things that Justin and I were just talking about as well is, you know, it doesn't just have to be a one like yes it has to be one marsh fest a year that's large but why not do smaller re, you know uh throughout here like in the first coast just do smaller events right like maybe every two months every three months just again to keep people you know from coming out supporting conservation and again you know going back to like that one handshake right that could change somebody's life right that could change somebody's career and i think the more that the more we gather together, whether it's every couple of months to do something, um, uh, Koji, I don't know if you remember, uh, Ink Factory Brewing, right? They were there, um, serving beers, uh, at the event. Um, so Aaron Meisner, uh, he likes, oh, to, I remember. He likes to get out on the marsh. Yeah. Um, their brewery is not too far up the road here and it's really uh, a cool little uh, place. You know, he, 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 um, he hit me up during March. So I was like, Hey, why don't we do some more fishing related things here at the brewery? So, you know, those kind of things that we're, we're, we're talking about doing, um, uh, uh, a smaller event there next month in December, you know, maybe bring a skiff, do a little casting competition, a little fly tying, you know, just to get people together. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, I think that's like the number one snowball effect that we can see immediately after March Fest and then hopefully have more of those regional ones, um, you know, throughout the year, nothing crazy, but again, just one more way or an excuse, I guess, to get people together. Well, count us, count us there. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely make, um, make an appearance and, um, literally do anything we can. Um, we've had conversations, um, you know, this past month since, uh, since March, March Fest. And I actually went back up to Northeast Florida and hang out, hung out with all the guys, um, again, and, um, got to experience Guana cause I only saw it from the shoreline, uh, during March Fest. So going back and seeing, um, a little bit more of the area and, you know, just, trying to get a better feel of the landscape um, being there and being shown around um, rather than staying in an Airbnb and like, you know, trying to figure out what was to see. Um, whereas, you know, hanging out with the guys from historic coast and, and, you know, them letting me into their lives, like, like I was a brother, um, you know, that, that opens up such a big platform for us to create more um, together and I think this is a good segue into our next point, which is talking a little bit more about um, media 
as a whole and like how we can come through as wildscape or, you know, myself individually as a stewardess of, you know, my own craft and being interested and being a fly angler as well. Like not only do I want to tell stories through wildscape, but I think, you know, as my own legacy personally, like I want to be able to, you know, capture stories, whether it be I'm wearing this hat or that hat or this hat, I think I'm always focused on, you know, being able to go out there and showcase that story, whatever it may be. So that's one of the conversations that we've been really poking around with is, you know, me coming back up there, um, whether it be with myself alone or another, another shooter or a team, but we want to tell the story about, you know, like flood tide fishing. We want to talk about, um, the back country. We want to talk about, you know, guana, um, and like just how unique, you know, your area is. And I think that sets us up with, a home run within the next year to be able to say, Hey, like, look, we, we participated, we collaborated. And now this story has, um, has really like emerged from this, this partnership and this friendship. Um, and I'm excited too, because hearing it from, you know, Justin and the other guys, there hasn't really been, you know, good media portrayed about, you know, what the marsh really is. Um, when you think of the marsh, you think of Charleston, you think of, you know, um, Georgia, um, but you don't think of, of the Northeast Florida, um, coastline at all whatsoever. So I wasn't turned on to it until going and seeing it with my own eyes and walking through the mud with, with the guys, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna make some awesome stuff together. Um, yeah, I, I honestly can't wait for all of that. Cause it's, Go ahead, Koji. Sorry, let me cut you off. Oh no, I think you froze a little bit. But yeah, no, yeah, it's um, I think I think at the at the start of the next year, um, twenty twenty four, um, well, I'll definitely be back up there. Um, I'm already talking to Justin about coming up there. You know, I think within the next few weeks, just to make something happen and keep the ball moving forward. Um, and like, it's it's interesting because like we. What we've done with Marsh Sessions, Marsh Fest, Historic Coast Outfitters, and Wildscape, it being on the northeast coast of Florida, we've done what much more in this little time than we've done here in Tampa Bay alone. And, you know, I live in Tampa Bay, and we've tried countless times to do bigger things, such as, you know, what we're doing with you guys. And it's a lot harder to gain traction. It's a lot harder to find that easy collaboration, you know, where everything kind of just meshes together. And this is nothing on Tampa Bay, but I think you guys are just setting such a good example of, of how to collaborate within the community and have those, you know, higher intentions that it makes it easy, you know, for, you know, a media team or someone like myself to come back and, and, and want to keep telling that story and want to keep, you know, putting, you know, fuel onto that fire. Um, but whereas here in St. Pete and Tampa, we've had really good co uh, connections with, you know, Tampa Bay watch, um, Tampa Bay Waterkeeper. you know, the conservation efforts around here, but when it comes to the long-term, you know, media side of things, it's really hard to like gain traction on that. And there must be a disconnect somewhere, but I know that like, it'll all work out like it's supposed to, but it's been very easy to do that with you guys. So I kind of want to take that and learn from it and, you know, 
cut a rip a page out of that and say, hey, now we can replicate this, bring it to anywhere in the United States and say, hey, here's what we did over here. And it's working really well. And we kind of want to start trying that, you know, like everywhere else. Um, so, yeah, all in all, um, just just an awesome collaboration. Um, yeah, that's going to be fun. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's like, you know, I think a lot of people just overlook the first coast in general. Right. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, what we what we've had and and and, can, and, and, and have ultimately, it's we have a really, really tight fly fish community that's kind of just flown under the radar for so many years, I feel like. Right. And I feel like now with Marsh Fest, you know, we've had the opportunity to kind of like bring that to light. Um, you know, and, and, and it's not just like fly fishing for redfish in the marsh. I mean, we have a really badass tarpon fisher here in the summer months, right? Just go look at Chris Schultz's Instagram, go look at, uh, Matt Chipperfield and the amount of giant hundred plus pound tarpon that those guys got to the boat this summer was unbelievable, right? Granted, you're not fly fishing for them because the water's dark and it's a, you know, it's a different game here. However, like they had probably one of the better summers that I can remember in the 20 years that I've been living here. Uh, you know, just tarpon fishing alone. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's no reason why the first coast needs to be overlooked. I think our fishery is amazing. I think our fishery is, uh, you know, hopefully on the up and up by, um, um, and, 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 and frankly, you know, we're doing this podcast because, you know, even though you guys don't live here, you also give a shit like the rest of us here. Right. And that's really the most important part. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and to talk, to kind of reflect on giving a shit, um, I had that conversation with Justin about, you know, putting together something, a bigger film that encompass, you know, the first coast as a whole. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't really like being on, especially in the fishing world. A lot of people don't really like being on camera or showing spots or, you know, like I said earlier, gatekeeping. Um, so it's like a mindset shift that you're, we're starting to see, you know, you see, um, people that, were once thinking that way that now understand that like, Oh wait, you know, the more that we put out there into the world and show that this place is awesome, the more people come here and spend money, the more that the economy, the local economy booms, you know, the more tourism, the more water sports, you know, everything that keeps your local economy alive is, you know, the media side of it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to kind of watch that unfold. But I want to kind of hey, Koji, let's just and go ahead and about, say it though. Um, like, there are no secret spots, there are no secret grass flats. There's only so <laughs> many that here. And if you just have access to Google Earth, you'll figure them out, right? But I think to your point though, it's like I remember when I started fly fishing back in 2015, like, there was a few people uh, that I still fish with today that were, you know, nice enough to like, you know, show me something, right? And it's not like they gave away their farm either, but it's like, give me enough so I can like, start right and i feel like that's part of the giving back aspect of it as well right there's also people like um for example like travis down from uh old city fly shop right when i when i figured okay well marsh sessions has to kind of keep itself alive somehow so i'm like well maybe i'll just run small small batch merch sell a hat here or there or whatever and do quarterly drops right just to keep the business going right um and and travis frankly was one of the only guys i think the only guy that was like here's what you need to know and i'm like Thank you. That's it. That's all I need to know. Right. And again, he didn't give away the farm or anything, but he just, he gave me, you know, tips and tricks that other people simply just wouldn't. So it's like, you know, when I was trying to like source hats and how do I do that? I, I, didn't, I never sold a hat in my life. Right. Before I started Mars sessions, but there's people like that, that just are super cool. And, you know, I feel like we should all be that way. Right. Like you can give back in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's no secret spots. You heard it here. 
Yeah. <laughs> and we can all be successful together. You know, there's, there's, right. there's a big enough pie for everyone to share. I think, you know, problems really occurs when, you know, people want too much of that pie. You know, there's interest in, you know, what, what you're doing. Um, and there's, there's interest in, you know, expanding and be able to, you know, move merch along, you know, you're, you're not stealing from each other. You're not, you know, you're, you're not, you're spreading the wealth, you know, and, and if anything, you know, you're kind of passing around good karma, you know, for yourself when, yeah. when you end up helping, um, instead of, you know, gatekeeping. And that's definitely a problem, um, that, that we've even seen kind of on the conservation side of things is, conservation efforts gatekeeping their their team their projects that they they work on because our audience isn't big enough that's that's, that's been a big that's problem right. um that that we've faced and the entire time you know I, I wish nothing bad on the organizations you know that have um and won't name any names because there there's there's a growing list um but you know to me it's it's kind of just bad karma you know like what what, what are you doing? Why are you gatekeeping? The, the pie is big enough for everyone to have a piece. And it sounds like that's very similar. And I'm glad that there are people, you know, that have stepped in and helped supported Marshfest and kind of given you that, that one piece of direction, like, Hey, this will help go this way. Um, and to see how that's, you know, now expanded is great. A hundred percent. And I feel like those are things that people remember, right? So for example, if I can think of one person that put me on my first redfish and it was like the first time I saw a tailing redfish. And from that moment, I was like, it's game over. Like, this is all I want to do. Like, it could be head high and barreling. And I'm like, there's a flood time. I'm going flood that fishing. It was it was that crazy. But Gabe LaFave, I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram. I met him when he was in college here. He was going to UNF. Um, and, uh, you know, he liked to fly fish. He was one of the first guides. He used to do paddleboard guiding for North Carolina Outpost. Uh, long story short, he bought one of those old Ginyu-looking things. I think it was like, uh, it was a river hawk. And so we started fishing together, right? And, you know, and, and it was just one of those relationships that kind of like, we just hit it off right then and there. He put me on my first sailing redfish when he was going to college. We talk a lot about like, you know, networking, you know, like, you know, help me understand redfish and I'll help you understand the professional world, right? Um, once you graduate, right? How to network, how to land that first job, those kind of things that I had already gone through. Um, and he's one of my favorite stories because, you know, next thing you know, the kid graduates from college. Next thing you know, he picks up a camera starts shooting, starts filming. Next thing you know, Yeti's like, you're hired, right? Next thing you know, he's with like the Field Ethos Journal boys, you know, shooting big game in Africa. And then now he's guiding in Alaska, right? So it's been one of those cool stories that just by giving back to each other, right? You can, you know, basically grab Gabe and, you know, root him on at the same time, right? So Ethan, you know, going back to that point you just made, it's, it's, it's just that, there's no reason to not give back. Yeah, I just I've never understood that like concept of you know, not really helping people, you know, because really you're only hurting yourself when you when you do that. You might get that like instant step ahead of, oh, I have, you know, less competition. Who fucking cares? You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we, we should want people to be better people, regardless of, you know, your your relationship in it all. If you stay stagnant as an individual, you know, you shouldn't care if you help someone. You know, eventually it'll come back around in some way, shape or form. Right. So the, the whole gatekeeping concept to me is the biggest piece of bullshit that we have created kind of as humanity. I feel super strongly about that because I can't stand it. Like it, it really gets under my skin, you know, when, when things are, are blocked purposely. 
um, for, for no goddamn reason. Like there's zero, you know, reason about it. Honestly, you know, to, to kind of put a personal anecdote here, if, if there was gatekeeping, Wildscape would not be a thing. And I can confidently say that, um, with the way that Wildscape had kind of started, um, and, you know, my lack of knowledge, um, for even how to operate, you know, a camera, um, or, you know, my knowledge of how to build out something, we would not have a Wildscape. Koji's a big part of that. I mean, there, there was literally a time where he could have chosen not to teach me how to, um, set up a camera correctly. Um, he could have not done that and, you know, keep all that information, you know, to himself and, you know, he, he could have been the, the sole holder of all the keys to be able to film anything. Well, now that's not the case. Right. You know, you know, exactly. there was, there was time taken and now look, look what's happened. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we, we were even having a conversation about shooting, um, some content that we need to do. And I was able to, you know, say, Hey, um, I, I can, I can work with our team member to make sure that things are correct. Um, and know that they're up to the standard of our organization because there wasn't gatekeeping and that's within our own organization. You know, and right. it happens everywhere. I, I, you know, in the corporate world, I'm sure you know, especially in the tech industry, that shit happens all the time. All the time. You know, people are like, "Oh, you, you know, know I'm, I'm not going to tell them this because I want to be the keeper of this information and you know, be that expert that people have to go to." And it's so fucking selfish, and it bleeds into everything, and it's really bad in conservation. To so to see, you know, the experience that you had. Um, you know, and how that's grown, you know, it's, it's only going to come back, you know, kind of tenfold. And I think that's, you know, a, a mentality that needs to be kept in, in our environment. hundred percent. Moving on to our next segment. Um, let's, let's kind of have an open discussion, um, about fishing conservation and kind of the issues, um, that we face. Koji, you want to kick that off? Yeah. So Javi, you know, we talked about, uh, Lake Guana. Um, North Guana Outpost, uh, Friends of Guana, the nonprofit organization, and uh, all things alike. Can you kind of just tell the audience um, what Lake Guana is? Um, from my experience, it was something very unique. Um, there is a dam involved, and not many people, you know, think of lakes and dams in Florida, but it's one of them. Um, the one that I've, the first one that I visited. Um, can you kind of touch base on what you've seen over the years being a paddleboard fly fisherman out of Lake Guana and um, some of the water quality issues that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So I know years ago, um, not that long ago either, but you know, like the Friends of Guana did get involved um, in terms of there was some water quality um, issues uh, in, in the lake itself, uh, which I understand are on the up and up, which is a good thing. Um, but one of the things that I've seen, uh, at least the last couple of years, is that the fishery in there has just continued to thrive, right? So again, like, you know, if you just go and look at, for example, uh, Matt Chipperfield's um, uh, Instagram, you can see just the amount of IGFA records that he's gotten for speckled trout out of that lake. There's also, you know, uh, really, you know, rather large uh, black drum in there. There's, you know, healthy redfish. Koji, you picked one out there not too long ago. Um, and then again, going back to your mm-hmm. prison bullets, right? So the ecosystem in the lake is thriving. But, you know, one of the cool things about, about Guana is that it's not just about the actual water quality in the lake itself. It's also, you know, what else takes from that water quality, right? Like when you go into Guana Lake, that place is like Jurassic Park, right? There's giant gators in there. There's giant alligator gar. There are wild turkeys. There are wild hogs. There's deer back there. So a lot of people don't know that inside the Guana Reserve itself, you can actually hunt as uh, there. Uh, throughout the year, 
um, as well. So it's not just about the Guana Lake, but it's 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 really the 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 larger impact that the water quality will have in the Guana uh, Reserve itself. Yeah, that's an interesting point, you know, and I I think water doesn't start like in the water. Water starts where it trickles down into bigger reserves, you know, like streams turn right. into rivers, into lakes, into uh, gulfs, into oceans, you know, and like it all trickles down from the land and essentially seeing guana for, with my own eyes and hearing stories of, you know, 200 pound hogs swimming across this water. And like, you see these giant birds and like just mullet the size of your leg. Like I'm calling them prison mullet. Like I'll dub it prison mullet. Um, it's interesting. Um, and like, that should be a know, t-shirt. Like, it really should. Oh man. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Ideas. I think we uh, found our first wild and unprotected t-shirt. Prison mullet. mullet. <laughs> no, I mean, we got them over here too, man, in Tampa. They're huge over here. Um, but no, I, I think for, you know, the conservation aspect of it, um, you know, like another thing too, like you can't launch, uh, you can't have a motor bigger than 9.9 horsepower inside Lake Guana, you know, so you can't be ripping, a, you can't be ripping a bass boat through there, you know, tearing up the shoreline. Um, but I'm sure people still launch, you know, big engines in there and still run them. But even, even the North side of Guana is closed. Um, actually they just closed it. Correct. Right. Uh, it closes on the 12th, I believe. Yep. For duck hunting. Okay. Yeah. Closes on the 12th for duck hunting. And then, so like, you can't go up there and fish that. And like, you know, the local people there, the local guides, local community, they all kind of understand the system, you know, and it's such a interesting balance from here. And like, you know, I'll be interested in seeing what Guana looks like 10 years from now, you know, and how someone like Matt Tripperfield has an awesome podcast that he's on and talks about catching, you know, world-class speckled trout out of Lake Guana and literally gives away the recipe, where to go, what to look for, how to catch them. And then like, you know, maybe 1% of listeners are actually going to go try it. So it's it's interesting you you know you can have all the information you can have all the tools and tricks unless you get out there and go see it for yourself you're not really going to understand what it's like. So from the conservation aspect, you know like oh is there something? Do you have something? Could you one of the things that I I want to understand especially after this year I think it's no secret right that this year was the hottest year on earth recorded right? And and I remember, you know, June July the hottest I've ever felt living here in the past 20 years. But, you know, I would go to the pier in the morning and, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, July, June, July, or August, when you, when you just woke up and you hit the ocean, you're kind of going to like ease your way into the water because it's a little chilly, whatever. Not this year. It was like diving into bath water, right. Which was really eye opening. I've never felt water that warm, like on the ocean side of things. And then I remember I was fishing with uh, Charlie Lee, uh, uh, out of his Ginu in Guana Lake. And it was one of those days where I think the heat index was like 113 degrees, something ridiculous. And it was like seven o'clock at night and we were just sweating. But that water in Guana was so hot that one of the things I meant to ask uh, the friends of Guana folks during Marsh Fest, I just forgot because I was so busy, is what is the impact of that extremely high water temperature inside a lake where water has nowhere to go unless you open the dam, right? Um. And so anyhow, that, that, that's one of the things I constantly think about is like, what does water temp do to that fishery as it stands, whether it's July and the hottest month on earth recorded like we had this past year, or if it's going to be, you know, February and it's, you know, 25 degrees outside. 
in the in the early morning. But I think all of that plays a factor yeah, in but- into you know the big conservation efforts right for guana lake yeah that's a good point and it's it's like that fact of this july being the hottest ever recorded day i just kind of like tuck that in away and try not to think of it (laughs) because i hope that it doesn't keep happening where we keep seeing the hottest days ever recorded because obviously that just bro the florida keys i think the water temp hit 104 degrees in key largo i believe or something like that that's crazy that's hot (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. That is wild. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit into, uh, something a little bit more relatable. Um, not that, not that Lake Juana isn't relatable. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about overfishing. Um, do you see any issues, you know, in the Tomalito river or anywhere in Palm Valley or even Amelia Island where, you know, I mean, I think we see overfishing everywhere on the planet, but specifically around where you're at, are you seeing anything that's just kind of like super outlandish? I'm not seeing things that are like super outlandish, but I do recall years ago, you know, you'd, you know, roll up to any, you know, said grass flood, right? To go flood tide fish. And there was just happy tailors everywhere, right? Um, and what I've noticed is that this year actually was not a bad year, but the last three years you would go flood tide fishing and you would see nothing. I mean, your rod, your 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 pouch wouldn't get off the reel. It was that bad, right? And I do know that the CCA. I want to say it was back in, um, back in August or sorry, May of this year, April or May of this year. They dumped ten thousand redfish out of Ork Harbor, which is up in Atlantic Beach, which is a good thing, right? But you know, again, I'm not a biologist, so I don't know what ten thousand redfish is going to do to the fishery. But I can definitely tell you that this year, for sure, was the most productive. Uh, flood tide fishing that I've seen in probably the last three years, right? And so, again, not being a biologist, I'm just going based on the things that I've seen. And and what I'm not seeing is a consistent amount of redfish in the grass flats during prime flood tide season. And actually this morning, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to uh, um, the Captain's Collective. Again, it has nothing to do with the actual marsh itself, but uh, Captain Chris Schultz was on the Captain's Collective this morning. And, you know, he's a big Cobia guy. And he talks about that, like how Cobia fishing you know, or running the beach for cobia and finding them under um, under rays, he's seen less and less fish throughout the years as well, right? Uh, the one year being 2020 where, you know, it was the COVID year and, and there was a lot less pressure on fish, I think says a lot, right? And that's just Northeast Florida. That's not the rest of the state. But I think we all know that, you know, redfish just get beat up every single day because, it's the one fish that we can constantly count on in the state of Florida. So, you know, I know Georgia has been doing the, the, the Georgia saltwater uh, guide association uh, has been very, very active in having Georgia change the redfish uh, regulations. I haven't seen a lot of that in the state of Florida, but I could, you know, I wouldn't be against something like that. Right. And again, it's not, it's not to like shut down redfish hundred percent, but it's like, you know, to what extent are we going to let people just take and take and take? That's actually uh, the, the Georgia um, changes or something that we actually had talked about with a uh, hundred miles um, and, and oh, Susan cool. Inman, she had talked about the, uh, the limits changing and the work that they were doing. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, experiencing the flood tide season this year, you know, hearing it from the guides up there, um, you know, like they knew exactly where the fish would be. They knew exactly what time they knew exactly, you know, when to be there, when to leave. And, you know, if you're not the first one there, there's going to be someone else that beats you there. 
you know, and you talk about that pressure, um, like that's that they say that the pressure is, you know, they see that was the most pressure they've seen this year. And it was like, it wasn't like people they knew it was like new boats, you know, new fishermen, new guides. And it's like, you know, the estuary, the marsh, the waterways can only take so much of that before, you know, it kicks back and then it just gets really bad for another three, four years. Yeah, exactly. And look, there's always going to be new guides. There's always going to be new anglers. There's always going to be that person that didn't fish for the last year and then gets a bug again and fishes every day for the next year, you know, for all you know. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, that's where the education piece comes in, right? You can't just continue to take and take. It just, there's nothing wrong with catch and release. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe I don't enjoy eating redfish that much, but I couldn't tell you the last time I ate a redfish, right? Um, but I'm a big fan of red fishing and then going to Publix and buying a, I don't know, a ribeye. <laughs> they do taste better, you know, <laughs> yeah, but pub sub. Yeah. get a pub sub, right? There you go. <laughs> Ethan's like, man, mm-hmm. you same day you mm-hmm. to San God, Diego. <laughs> damn. I missed that. <laughs> oh, San funny. Diego. Why the fuck don't you have Publix out here? <laughs> maybe, maybe you should start a petition for the Safeways out there to, Try to compete. Nah, I wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah. There's just, there's something yeah. special about it. I know it's such a side tangent, but there's something special about a pub sub. <laughs> it cannot be replicated by any other place. Like I'm just gonna put that out there. Cannot. Safeway can try. They can't do it. You can't replicate it. I'm sorry. I will die on that. You heard hill. it here first. That <laughs> I I hate that I can't get one of those out here. Um, I, I'm sure Koji's like over it. And anytime I come out to visit, he's like, Oh, I can't have a pub sub for a, a week because that's all we're going to eat. No, I had, I had one yesterday. Just, just want to rub it in. Oh <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> well, next time uh, I go back to Phoenix and have Whataburger, I'm rubbing it in your face. There, right. There you go. Uh, all right. We're the, the scales are even. Uh, well, let's, let's dub our, let's dub our favorite section, our, our favorite segment of the show, Javi. Um, let's talk about some wild stories. Um, let's, let's bring up some of the dirt from the past. Let's talk about something that you would, you would only, you know, really shoot the shit over the fire or, you know, at the bar. What, what's something crazy that's happened, you know, recently or over the course of your fly fishing career slash hobby that, uh, that just always comes up. That's like, I think the world needs to hear this now. Um, something that always comes. It could be any time that you go out with Captain Soup. Anything, anytime you go out with Jerry Soup, uh, something happens. That's a wild story. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Oh, Jerry. Um, yeah, wild story, man. Um, I guess I don't have one that happens all the time. Um, like I said, too f- a good one and a funny one, right? I guess like a like a wild one that's like legit that I have never experienced again, going back to about 2016, I believe maybe 2017, I was fishing this place called Pablo Creek, which is again, another non-secret here. Pablo Creek has a bridge that you can get under at low tide. Uh, and if tide comes up, you get stuck under the bridge for, you know, the next uh, tide cycle. But back there, that place is also like Jurassic Park under the bridge, right next to the intracoastal. There's a lot of snook. You can always, if you want to catch a snook up in Northeast Florida, that's your spot. You can probably get a pick one out of there. There's also a lot of vegetarian tarpon out of there because I've had one follow in all these years and I'm convinced they just don't want a damn fly. So they're vegetarian in my book. But back there, I was, my brother and I had just bought uh, a little Alumacraft skiff. That was like our duck boat, put a polling platform on it, whatnot. And I was up on the trolling platform and he's like, 
turn the fucking boat around. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, what, why the F-bombs? And he's like, turn the fucking boat around slowly. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? I turn around, man. There's a damn black bear eating at low tide, right out, like, right, like eating, like from the oyster bars. And behind there, right behind that tree line is a really fancy, um, uh, community that has like an airstrip and a, like a mega private golf course. And you can hear the pings off the tee box. And we're like, Oh shit. And Koji, I'll send you the, 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 uh, Instagram link, uh, from our sessions. It's in there. It's one of the few, uh, first posts that I think I ever did. Anyhow, healthy male black bear ran out of there. That was the first one. I think the funniest thing I've seen in the, in, in, and it wasn't even here in Northeast Florida. It was in Louisiana last year, right? Get to Louisiana. Charlie Lee, if you want to see him on Instagram, it's noodles and jam. Great angler, super cool guy. Anyways, Charlie never been to Louisiana, right? So it's like 43 degrees out, guys. It's fucking freezing. Meanwhile, you have a 40 minute, 30, 30 minute ride out to the, you know, to go fish. And Charlie is sitting on Todd Monson's skiff on the bow, waiting on somebody to jump in from the, from the ramp. And just in, I just turned around in slow motion. Charlie went to laugh. And when Charlie laughs, it's everybody knows Charlie's laughing kind of a laugh. And he just goes and falls <laughs> backwards in slow motion into the water. And the hood of his jacket was the first thing to hit the water and just gets full of fucking marina water. That's freezing ass cold because it's November and oh. 40 degrees outside. Oh. And Todd Monson just picks him up so <laughs> So that was, that was probably the funniest thing I've seen in a while, which still in our uh, Coco Dree, Louisiana group chat still goes on talking about Charlie's baptism and, uh, you know, morning of. Of course, then he had to go upstairs change um only brought one jacket of course so luckily todd he's an orvis guy so he had some sort of orvis in, insulated thing in his in his in his skiff for him but then you know just coming back and watching him be like had to go ask the marina people for to to help have them let let give him the key to the industrial washer and dryer so he can go wash his shit but yeah watching somebody fall in the water um in slow motion was pretty pretty funny but i won't talk about captain soup that's always a good time dude anytime someone takes a dip yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't mention Captain Soup losing Mike Crawford's, uh, you know, fairly brand new rod and reel, though. Shit. I think they're still talking about that. <laughs> we won't mention that to mention it. We won't mention that at all on this podcast. All- it was actually a nice Nautilus, too, I believe. Holy shit, that was expensive. <laughs> Nothing to see here. I'm, I'm still wondering why why you took the uh, the time to identify whether the bear was male or female. <laughs> Uh, dude, because it was weird, man. And then, of course, was, so I was seeing, my brother's like, where's your pistol? I'm like, in your truck? I'm like, where's your pistol? In my truck. And I'm like, oops, we've got to get out of here. <laughs> but, yeah. we got to go. Um, we got to go. Um, we're going to identify what the, the sex is of this animal. Uh, I'll have, dude, this for another story. But I had a run-in with a black bear up in the Chattahoochee National Forest once with, uh, uh, with uh, William Brown, one of the guides up, from, uh, up in um, On the Fly uh, – up in Blue Ridge. That was not fun. That was like trying to back up from a bear slowly. And all of a sudden my wading boots have their uh, felt bottom. So they're kind of slip and slide until they get wet. Oh uh, man, I slipped and I had a fence behind me because we we're at the fishing up at the hatchery. That was not one of my best moments, but we'll leave cool. that. That's scary. Man, you know, you know, uh, captain Cap- captain soup also lost one of Crawford's fly rods off the Ginu. That's what I, I was about that, referring yeah. to. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah, that was your rod. Damn, 
No, 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 no. That That's was great. that was Mike Crawford's. I said I wouldn't mention it on this podcast, but we already did like five times. So, oh. Oh, there sorry, go. Captain uh, Soup. Sorry, Soup. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna have to tag um, Captain Soup in uh in all right. the promotional material for this episode. <laughs> Get ready to be put on blast <laughs> by us not mentioning it, dude. I. I've seen so many crazy things out on the water. Um, I mean, the first time I fished with, uh, with captain Mike Keith, um, yeah. Flood tide. Like it was like a couple days before Marsh Fest. Uh, he was on the platform and, uh, pushed was pu- pulling the boat and, and hit a soft spot in the mud. Oy- it slipped off the oyster, caught the mud. And I just hear, Oh shit. I turn around and he's like full on slow motion backwards cool. into the water. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see hey, you gotta be careful fishing split open because he didn't want to hit the prop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh god! Hopefully that was on a grass flat, not at low tide over an oyster bar. Oh, it was it was grass flat in, in the flood. Oh, good. Uh, one of the first times I ever fished a flood was with my good friend Dylan Dylan Barker out of Charleston, and um, we had like. We ran the boat, got to a flat, and then like pushed the boat up onto the grass, and we're waiting for the water to come in. And um, I'm just kind of like getting my my rod ready, you know, getting throwing some line out, get you know, just feeling it out. And I'm like talking, we're talking, we're getting cameras ready, and the next thing you know, like I'm tight. I'm like, oh shit, I'm on. <laughs> like nothing, <laughs> nothing. I wasn't even fishing. And I pull out a ladyfish, like you know, like an eight inch ladyfish. And I'm like, dude, I'm on a ladyfish. Cool. Hey, they like, jump. Boat flip them into the boat. Yeah, poor man Starpin. I, I boat That's flipped right. him into the boat like a bass, and he lands on my camera and just completely shits all over the camera. Like, the <laughs> whole camera was covered in ladyfish shit. And it happened within, like, three seconds. And we all just kind of looked at each other, like Spider-Man pointing at each other, like, dude, that was your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, it was like, no, none of us could have prevented it, but also he didn't have to come in the boat. So it was my fault. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had my cameras shit on, spit on, bled on They're They've seen a lot. <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> well, I think, uh, after those wild stories, we're, uh, we're at a point where we can wrap the show. Um, last thing I want to hit on is, uh, Javi, where can, uh, people check out Marsh sessions and, um, where can people get some information on the next time that Marsh Fest is going to happen? That's a great question. So uh, it's at Marsh Sessions on um, Instagram. I uh, have been pretty busy this year. I've been promising myself every month that I'm going to get a website going, and I still don't have a website, so I do apologize about that. However, uh, if you follow Historic Coast Outfitters and if you follow North Quanta Outpost, you'll get some more information about that. However, one of the learnings that we had from this past Marsh Fest is that we are about we are going to launch an official Marsh Fest um, Instagram. So just kind of make it official from that perspective. But uh, basically at Marsh Fest uh, or at Marsh Sessions, you can learn everything about what we do. Basically, we're professional fun havers, mediocre anglers. Yeah. That's it. And I'm sure we'll make an appearance from time to time um, on, on that page too. <laughs> I think we lost Javi again. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I, I lost you guys. I'm back. Oh. oh, okay, okay. <laughs> You're stuck in a big smile on my screen. <laughs> it's oh, <geez>. so big. Cheese <laughs> uh. it so hard. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be if it wasn't fun. It looks, 
It looks yeah, like those right. school pictures you take in like middle school where the creepy guy behind the camera is like, smile, cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets. Like, what the fuck does that have to do with taking a picture and you're smiling at him being a dumbass and a creep? It's like one of those smiles. That's funny. Uh, uh, well, uh, oh. Koji, do you think we're about ready to wrap up this season of Wild and Unprotected? I think that's the icing on the cake, man. Javi, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on as our season finale. Um, it's been incredible to chat with you and reflect on our uh, collaborations um, and our relationship and you know what the future looks like. Um, from our organization to yours, we really, you know, support you and want to show you that, you know, we, whatever we can do from here, um, obviously the phone is open, um, reach out at any time. It's been such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Same with you guys, man. Thank you so much for all your involvement with, uh, you know, Marsh Fest, uh, having me on here. And, uh, like I said, we're just getting started around here, man. Like we're, we're about to create some rad shit and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That's right. All right. See you guys. See you next year. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Wild and Unprotected podcast brought to you by Wildscape Productions. Follow us on social media at Wildscape Productions. For more information on our documentary series, Shoreline Stories, visit wildscapeproduction.com. Stay tuned for our future episodes as we have so much more in store for Wild and Unprotected.